So uh, for me, actually, I think the midweek service is kind of the meat and potatoes of church. Uh, it's also tends to be a smaller group, and I like it because it allows me to be a little bit less formal. Uh, I like more interaction in the midweek Bible study, especially if we're a smaller group. But you know what? Here we are. We're going to study Genesis together, and look at where we're at. How beautiful is this place that we live? I'm telling you what, we've been here for, I don't know, almost two weeks now. And Tina and I and our, our boys, we're just enjoying every minute of it. Uh, God is so wonderful to bless us uh, with a place like this. You know, and I just want to encourage you, as you're out walking around, just be meditating on the Lord. So we're going to start the book of Genesis today. I may have said Acts earlier, did I? I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> That's, that's why I like to be informal, because the, the errors don't seem to be so glaring. But anyway, we're going to start the book of Genesis today. And I, before we get started, we want to point out a couple of things, okay? The word Genesis, it means beginnings. It means origin. Most of the world knows this book not by Genesis, but by the title of the first book of Moses. Uh, the first five books of the Bible, they're known by much of the world as the first book of Moses, the second book of Moses, the third book, fourth book, fifth book of Moses, and so on. And the first five books of the Bible, they're also called the Pentateuch. It's a, a Greek or Latin phrase, a penta meaning five, tuch meaning books. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's also known by many, especially by our, our Jewish uh, brothers, that um, it's the Torah, the first five books is the Torah. Torah means law. So it's often referred to as the law of Moses, these five books. Now, the Jewish Talmud, they attribute the authorship of the book of Genesis to Moses. Josephus, who was an early church historian employed by uh, Rome to uh, chrono, chrono, I'm having a hard time with that. Had a hard time with that word on Sunday too. Yeah, to record the... Uh, uh, the history of the Jewish people, Josephus, he attributes it to Moses. And also the early church, um, they attribute it to Moses. It's only liberal scholars today that have questioned the authorship. And uh, it's kind of a funny thing if you think about it. What they do is they say Genesis is written by the E author. And then, you know, Exodus is written by the J author, and there's the P author, and the O author, and so on for the first five books of, of the Bible. Well, you know what? Tell you the truth, I'm not all that smart. Uh, this started back in the, in the you know, early 1900s. In, in 1990, after I graduated from college, you know, I was thinking about actually attending a, a Bible college. And uh, so I called all the Bible schools, the, the theological seminaries in our area. And I just questioned them. I wanted to know what their view was. And I just said, you know, tell me who wrote the first five books of the Bible. And, you know, the scholars, they're all, well, you know, there's the E author and the J author and, and uh, so on. And I'm just like, really, like Moses didn't write the, the first five books. Is that what you're telling me? Well, that's correct. And uh I pointed out, well, you know, Jesus quoted from uh, Genesis. He quoted from some of the other books. And he said, actually, that uh, Jesus uh, attributed it to Moses, their authorship. And you know what this, this professor told me? He said, well, we know far more about the original language today than Jesus knew in his time. <laughs> like, 
Oh, talk about professing to be wise and becoming as fools. It's ridiculous. And uh, so uh, I didn't attend either one of those colleges that I spoke to or any of the colleges that I spoke to. Uh, it's just crazy to me that, that people question this when Jesus said, hey, that Moses wrote this. Um, so the book of Genesis, it actually, it records four major events for us, okay? It records first the creation of the heavens and the earth along with the creation of man. Secondly, it records the fall of man for us, uh, how sin entered into the world. It records the flood at Noah's time. And then it records the dispersion of my, mankind, the beginning of nations and languages and cultures there at the time of the Tower of Babel when God confused the language and, and uh, everybody went out. It also records uh, four great men in history. It's a story of, of their lives too, all right? The first one, Abraham, the father of faith. This is where we get much of our information about Abraham. Um, Isaac, right, his son. After that, Joseph, and then the fourth great man that a, a lot of the book of Genesis is uh, concerned with is Joseph. Um, now, in my mind, I think it's a fairly accurate statement to say that Genesis is probably one of, if not the most important book of the Bible. And the reason why is because so much of Genesis, it's a foundation to understand everything else that comes later, right? It's a foundation of understanding the Bible. It explains the origin of the universe for us. It explains where the sun, the moon, the stars, where they all came from. It explains life on earth as a whole it talks about the origin of marriage. It talks about family. It talks, talks about so much that's important to us. And you know what it does is it's the earliest revelation of God as a redeeming God. It's so crazy you look at it because it shows how God brings the universe together out of chaos. It shows how he turns darkness into light, right? It shows how he made a division between the light and the darkness. And it also shows us how he transforms cursings into blessings. And you know, that's, that's our God. He's a redeeming God. Genesis also gives us the answer to many of, you know, the most bewildering, um, you know, uh, confusing questions that we see in life too, right? Where did we come from? That's one of the questions that people ask all the time. Where do we come from? Where why is the world in such a mess that it's in currently? Why is there sin and sickness and suffering and death in the world? And again, why is there evil in the world? And so that's what Genesis tells us. Um, so verse one, we, we start to get into it. And I wanna just say this before we really get going. Up until recently, uh, scholars, scientists, they believe that the earth the universe was eternal, okay? That it always was, the universe will always be, and it always will exist. But up until recently, modern science has shown us that things are actually winding down. Uh, the universe is winding down. And science adopted the idea that there was a beginning because they were seeing things kind of winding down. Now, they go on to explain that the beginning, it was this singularity where everything that you see, 
all the mass, all the matter in, in the universe, it was all together at one point, just very small. Uh, everything you see, all the stars, all the galaxies, it was all together in one single, uh, you know, I don't know, glump of something, right? And uh, what happened was there was a big explosion, and then from that time and space was created, everything just went out from there. And then, uh, yeah, after millions of years, you know, uh, these gases, these molecules, they coalesced, they created planets. Um, yeah, that's, that's the theory of the Big Bang, isn't it? You know, my question is, where did all of that stuff, that mass, that matter, where did all of that come from before the Big Bang? The Bible tells us that there's, there was nothing before God created. And you know what? I think that the Big Bang, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, I actually think that this takes more faith to believe than just to open up your Bible and, and to read. Well, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created. And if we just stop here just for a second, okay? And let's just think about this phrase here. In the beginning God created. This makes perfect sense, actually, to me. Every time you see a watch, uh, you, you think of a watchmaker. Every time you see of a painter, you think of a painter. Every time you see a building, you think of an architect. And you know, at the same time, it's true about creation. All this creation around us, all these trees, these rivers, uh, everything here, as a train goes by, uh, I can't hear it. Well. Okay then. <laughs> so as, as the train goes by, you know what? There's an engineer that designed that train. Everything you see has a, create, a creator. So it only makes sense that our world, that there's a creator. And the interesting thing to me is this. When you see a jet flying overhead, there was a designer. You know what? You see a building again, there's an architect. The creator is always greater than the creation. And I just love that because it just, the Bible tells us how foolish it is for us to stop and worship anything other than God. Why would we worship something less than the creator? Our creator is so great. And you know what? The Bible says that everybody knows that there is a God, right? Um, if you turn in your Bibles real quick, for, uh, Psalm 19, verses one through four. And you may know these, these verses by heart. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So. What is this speech? The speech that's going out, nation, uh, nature declaring the glory. What is it that it's saying? Well, you know what? It's screaming at mankind. There is a God. There is a creator. There is a God out there. And you know what? Uh, the Bible actually tells us that we know that this is true. You know, flip over to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, starting in verse 18. Give me a little chance to get there. Romans chapter one, verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because 
what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know what that verse tells us is that man across the board knows that there's a creator, a creator God. And you know what they've done is they've chosen to ignore him. They've chosen to reject him. And you know, when you do that, what happens is God, Romans goes on to tell us, he just gives you over to the base mind. And it's just so sad in our society that so many people have chosen just to worship nature or to worship uh, some created being. It's, it just breaks my heart. Everyone knows that there's a God and because of this, there's no argument or explanation for the existence of God given to us here in Genesis. He just says, in the beginning, God created. The, the author, Moses, under the inspiration of God, just assumes that everybody, this is a, a accepted fact by every in the Bible, uh, by everyone in the Bible tells us, everybody knows that in the beginning, God created. Isn't that an amazing uh, understanding of the Word of God, everybody knows it. When we go out and share Christ with people, you know what, understand, there are no real atheists out there. Everybody knows they've just chosen to reject or they've chosen to ignore. And before anything existed, because God created in the beginning, before anything existed, there was God. And you know, I love the Bible because the Bible tells us, you know, everything we need to know about God what type of God he is. You know what, he's all powerful. You know, I love that, he's all powerful. Uh, Jeremiah 32, 17, Colossians uh, 1, 17. God alone is eternal, right? Psalm 90, verse two, 1 Timothy 1, 17. He's infinite in his understanding. I love that, you know, when I'm faced with difficult uh, situations, I can run to him and ask him, God, uh, what should I do? Because he understands. You know, have you ever let the, I don't know if you're like me, <laughs> sometimes I'm embarrassed to admit, sometimes, have you ever let those words uh, come out of your mouth? God, you don't seem to understand. If you would just do this and this and this, no, make no mistake about it. God understands, he sees, he knows. Not only is he infinite in his understanding, you know what, God is love. He's tremendously loving. He loves you, he loves me. And he's patient and long suffering. Boy. I don't know, in these last few years, one of the most precious attributes to me is how patient God is with me, right? I love his patience. I would have given up on me so long ago, but you know what, our God is patient and long-suffering, and he's wise. Uh, Romans 11:33 tells us that he's, that he's wise. We can go to him when we don't know what to do and receive his counsel. He's faithful. He's faithful when we're faithless. I mean, this is our God that we serve. He's good. He's just. He's merciful and compassionate. He's gracious. He's giving. He's holy. He's light. He's abounding in mercy. This is our God. And I tell you what, boy, let that description of God just stir your heart. And I encourage you, take time. I do it all the time. I'm a, I'm a guy that I write lists, right? I have prayer lists here in my Bible. I got it all over. But you know what? I've taken a time here and I've written everything that the Lord is as I read through the Bible. You know, uh, 
You know, he instructs me, he teaches me. He's my rock, he's my refuge, he's my strength, he's my joy. I just encourage you to do a study, something like that, and then just take, keep a list of everything that God is, all those attributes that are important to you. This is the God of creation. This is the God that we worship. And the Bible is a revelation of himself to us. This is who our God is. And boy, I tell you, I'm just so thankful to know that this is our God and that he's so loving and patient with me. So here in verse one, it's very interesting to me, right? In the beginning, God created. The word God there, it's Elohim. It could be translated um, almighty, all-powerful. I like the word almighty. Uh, I just finished up one of the Bible colleges in South Asia. I just finished up teaching the book of Revelation. And it was just this last semester that I learned what Almighty actually means. It's the idea of His hands are in everything. And I just love that idea about our God that His hands are in everything. And it just brings just a, a greater understanding of how He works everything together for our good. I just love it. So I was surprised to, to learn that, that His hands are in everything. But it's His hands that bring blessing into our lives. We know this, but we just never connect those dots. He brings blessing into our lives. And because of his love, again, he's able to work all things together uh, for our good. 32 times in this chapter one of Genesis, the word Elohim is used. 32 times it's there to remind us that God is all powerful, that he's almighty. 2,300 times the word Elohim is used in the Old Testament. The God of Israel, the God that we serve, he's almighty, he's omnipotent, he's all powerful. And the Bible says he's omniscient, he knows everything. His omniscience, um, he knows everything and he's omnipresent. He's every place at one time. And I love that too, because there's no place we need to go to, to be closer to him. There's no place we can go to, to be closer to him. He's every place at all time, you know? I don't need to go to the Western Wall to offer a prayer. He's in my living room. As I open my house to him, as I open my heart to him, he's there. He's every place at one time. And it's really interesting, this word Elohim. Uh, Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, maybe this is news, but Elohim is actually in the plural. El is singular for God. Ella, E-L-L-A-H, that's God too, but Elohim is plural for God more than two. Now, why would God be referred to here in this first book of the uh, first verse of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Why would God inspire Moses to write this? Elohim, God plural more than two. Well, you know, it's because it's the earliest reference of God's nature, his character, right? That he's a triune God. It's uh, the Trinity. It's an early reference to the Trinity, the compound unity of God, that there's one God, three persons, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's very important to understand that that's the God that we serve. Well, again, this first phrase, in the beginning, God created... Uh, the word created there is bara, 
B-A-R-A. It's the Hebrew word for created. And it means to create out of nothing. God spoke everything into existence. God Almighty, all-powerful, out of nothings, created the heavens and the earth. And I personally think, again, this takes less faith to believe than uh, what modern science tells us how the, the universe began. Um, as they say, as for the beginning of man, you know, uh, someone summed it up this way, uh, evolution is from the goo to the zoo to you. I, I think that's uh, interesting. Uh, what it's trying to communicate, of course, is that sometime back, however many millions of years, there was a single cell organism. It multiplied to the point where it became a tadpole. The tadpole got a little scratch on its side and all of a sudden little arm buds and little leg buds developed and it crawled up on a rock and miraculously was able to breathe the oxygen that was there. And the next thing you know, you know, the tadpole turned into, I don't know, a squirrel, something turned into a monkey, turned into a man after it started walking upright. After, after just a mere, you know, from a monkey to man, it only took, I don't know, 150,000 years. I mean, to me, it's just ridiculous. And what you understand is evolution is an attempt to explain the creation of man, the origin of mankind, without the existence of God. And you know, I, I love uh, Psalm 14, verse 1. It says that the fool in his heart has said that there's no God. It's just, it's just foolishness. And I can tell you, as somebody who's studied the human body extensively, and this is, this is my idea, Anybody that has studied the human body extensively knows that there's no possible way that we could have occurred through random chance occurrences, just fortuitous random chance occurrences. It's impossible. There's so many things going on in our human body that if any of them ceased to exist, it would be incompatible with life. I mean, it's just foolishness. And I go as far as to say this, any that has studied the human body that believes in evolution, that denies creation, I tell them to their face, I mean, you're just willfully ignorant of the facts. And if you don't understand what willfully ignorant means, it means that you're stupid by choice. I don't mind telling people that because you know what? The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. And you know what? I want people to understand that, you know what? There is a God. There's a God that loves you. I mean, if you just study the fine-tuning of, of our solar system, how it came about, I mean, the fine-tuning of the solar system, what it refers to is just how everything is exactly just right to support uh, life as we know it. I mean, you look at the atmosphere. It's 50 miles deep of, of this ex almost inexhaustible envelope of, of uh air that we need to breathe and that air of course you know is just happens to be 78 percent nitrogen 21 percent um, oxygen uh, just slightly less than one percent argon uh, 0.03 percent carbon dioxide it's just the right mixture to support human life
Well, how did that happen? And you look at the tilt of the earth, it's 23 and a third degrees, right? The tilt of the earth allows us to have seasons as we uh, rotate around the sun. What keeps the earth at 23 and a third degrees? Uh, did, did it just happen by chance? How is it just possible? The earth is rotating at approximately a thousand miles an hour, right? Uh, at the radius, it's the, the mean circumference of the earth is 24,000 miles. And it takes one rotation, 24 hours to go around. That means it's traveling at a thousand miles an hour. What keeps the earth after all this time traveling a thousand miles around, a uh, thousand miles an hour? If you just, if you just slowed that rotation down by 10%, right? If it just slowed down to 900 miles an hour, you know what it would mean? It would mean that the days would be 10 times longer. It would mean that the nights would be 10 times longer. So during the day, all life would burn up. And during the night, all life would freeze. How did it happen? It just happened randomly. What's keeping it this constant speed? What's keeping it uh, this constant speed so it can support life? And you know, the Earth, it orbits the sun, right? It orbits the sun 365 days, nine hours, 56 minutes, and some seconds, right? What keeps the, sun, the, the Earth going that speed around the Earth after all this time? Did it just happen by chance? After this big bang, the Earth was thrown out um, and everything else, it just happened to be thrown out there and it just happened to adopt the 23 and a third degree tilt. It just happened to uh, maintain this thousand degree or a thousand mile an hour rotation, just happened to be uh, in orbit around the sun. How is it possible? You know, it just happened to be that way to sustain life. And you know what? Again, it takes more faith to believe this than just to believe what the Bible says. Now, I want you to know this, and, I, and we want to get this going uh, in our study. The Bible's not a book of science. It's not written in a scientific language. If it was, then nobody could understand it. The Bible is written for you and me to be able to understand it. But every place that it touches upon something that's scientific, it's always accurate. I've been a scientist all my adult life. I've never found anything within the Bible that contradicted science. In fact, what happens is science often needs to catch up to get to the Bible, right? Every place the Bible speaks about history, we can look back into history and verify that it spoke about it accurately. Every place the Bible speaks about prophecy that has been fulfilled in the past, we can look back to when the prophecy was given we can fast forward to see when it was fulfilled and every time it happened just like it said. And this is important because every time the Bible talks about God, we can take that same assurity that we find in other things that we can establish and trust it to tell us accurately about God and who he is. Um, so that's half of verse one. <laughs> We need to pick up the pace a little bit. What it says, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when it talks about the heavens, it's not talking necessarily about the heavens that a God is living in, right? The Bible talks about three heavens. There's the heavens that are just right here above us right now, the blue sky, our atmosphere, the birds are flying in this heaven. 
There's the celestial heavens where the, the sun, moon, stars, planets, the universes are occupying. And then the third heaven is, is where God is. That's what it's talking about, though, is the heavens that we're, we're here, the universe. It's not talking about God's domain. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, it's estimated in our universe. Actually, it's estimated in our, in our uh, galaxy, 200 billion stars. And in the universe, there's 100 billion galaxies with at least 100 billion stars in each one of them. And you know what? If you were to look in the night sky on a, a night where there's a full, moan, a full moon, and you just took that patch of sky that the moon uh, fills, and you just moved that, that patch any place and just looked in that little space that the moon would occupy any other place in the, in the heavens, it's estimated there would be 12 million uni uh, yeah, 12 million galaxies in that space. I mean, it's just quite amazing. And, you know, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. I also find it interesting, just scientific theory. We won't get into it. We'll move on. It says in verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, some people read verse 2 and say that, you know what it's describing there is a middle stage of development, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens. And then verse 2, it's without form and void. And then verse 3, you know, it kind of all comes together, right? Others translate this as the earth became without form and void. And they, they, they see this and they say the earth became without form and void because of some destructive act of Satan. Now, their idea is that when Satan fell, he came to this earth and, uh, you know, devastated it, apparently. And we don't know when Satan fell. We do know that he fell by uh, chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. Jesus said that he saw Satan fell. And we also know in Revelation, it says when he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. So when he fell, we don't really know. This theory of time, though, this gap in time between verse 1 and 2, that's actually called the gap theory. Uh, you know, they get it also. They use Isaiah 45, verse 18, to support this theory. And you can look at it. Isaiah 45, verse 18. We'll get there. Isaiah 45, verse 18. It says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. And they say that God didn't make the earth to be void. He didn't make it to be, um, you know, without form. He didn't create it in vain. And so they, they support that theory of the gap theory. Now, I don't really know. I leave these kind of things to scholars and people to debate. This is what I know is that the grammar, the Hebrew grammar here in verse 2, doesn't allow for the gap theory. 
the Hebrew grammar uh, is just God created the heavens and the earth. It was without form and void, and then it became what it is today. However that works out, I don't really know. Some people then say, well, what about theistic evolution? God started the process, and then, you know, he just let things just take off as, as they took off. And theist theistic evolution isn't even a possibility because evolution is a process of life, death, life mutation, death, life mutation, death, life mutation, death. Death didn't enter in into the picture until Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, death uh, entered in because of sin. So theistic evolution isn't even a possibility. I just take it for what it is. You know what? God created it, how he did it. He spoke it into existence. What did it look like initially? I don't know. He goes on to tell us. Says verse three. Oh, no, let's finish verse two. God created without um, form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, um, it's interesting to me because what it says continues on in verse 3. It says, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Literally there, verse 3, the Hebrew is, uh, God says, light be and light was. Right? I think the, the uh, motivational speakers today, they talk about speaking things into existence. You can speak your own reality into existence. Boy, I don't know. I can't speak anything to existence. I mean, if you can do it, speak another car into existence for me. We need a second car, okay? I mean, like, you know what? I like what Damien Kyle says. He, he bakes a cake. He gets the ingredients out of a box. He adds oil. He throws an egg in it, and he gets, he gets a cake out of it, and he's really proud that he was able to do it. None of it was out of, out of his ability to create. The closest thing that we have to create is through reproduction, kids. That's the closest thing to recreating life. But you know what? I'm completely powerless. Completely powerless. I don't, I don't have any knowledge. You know what? I need to look to Jesus Christ to show me the, the way to go. But here I think it's really interesting. It says that darkness was over the face of the deep and, and the Spirit of God was hover, hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Doesn't that remind you of God's work in you, in your heart? It reminds me of God's work in my heart, right? I tell you what, I was dead in my sins and trespasses. You know, there was nothing but darkness in my heart. And the Spirit, God dispatched the Spirit to come and just begin to work on my heart and to encourage me uh, about him. He brought people into my life that told me about his love for me and his willingness to forgive me of my sins. And you know what? What happened is he then made a distinction then between the light and the darkness as I gave my heart to him. I just find it so interesting that that's, that's what happened in, in creation for the world and the heavens and the earth. But that's what's also uh, happened in my heart when he recreated me, when I was born again, placing my life in, in uh, my hands and in, in, uh, my life in the hands of Christ. Um, light was there before the sun, right? It says, uh, 
I tell you, no, it was my phone too. Sorry, my phone just went off. I'll tell you, I'll tell you about my my alarm on my phone later on. But uh, what was I saying? Uh, you know, G- God says, "Let there be light," and there was light. Light existed before the the sun existed. And some say, "Well, that's impossible. How can light exist before God creates the sun?" Well, it's interesting. The answer is in in Revelation 22, where it says that that God himself will be the light. And you know, again, I think it's just so interesting. God is going to end creation as we know it, the way he started it, with him being the light. Well, we go on. This wind's blowing my pages all over the place. We go on, verse 4, and it says, Then God said, uh, that's verse 3, And then God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So it's interesting, the evening and the morning were the first day. This is how Jewish people even today um, record their days. Their days begin and end at sundown. But what's also interesting to me is people have a problem with this idea of, of this day. Is it a literal day? Or does this day somehow represent some ages? Well, the truth is this. The use of the word day in the scriptures sometimes can mean an age. In fact, Peter talks about the day of the Lord. And what he's talking about is from the uh, rapture of the church through the seven-year period of tribulation on through the millennial kingdom to the new heaven and the new earth. All of that is considered the day of the Lord. And so it can be considered uh, a um, period of time. However, the reason why we see this as a literal day, a 24-hour day, is one, because there's an evening and a morning. That only happens every 24 hours, right? Two, the Hebrew word here for day is yom, Y-O-M. Every place in the scripture, the word yom is used and it's associated with a number. The first day, the second day, the third day, whatever the case may be. Every time the word yom is used and it's linked to a number, it always means, always means a literal 24-hour day. So that's what we see here. And it's interesting, too, we see other proof of this 24-hour day, that these days are literal. In Exodus chapter 20, if you want to turn over there, you can. Exodus chapter 20, you'll remember that's where uh, we find the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, and we'll read through verse 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor... And do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So six 24-hour days, you're to work. And the seventh day, the Jewish people were to rest. That's a Sabbath. In it, you shall do no work, nor uh, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who's within your gates. Four, and four is a, a reason word right there. For it can be translated because 
In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so what what's being said there is just like God worked six days, he's your example. He worked six days, he rested on the Sabbath. So too the Jewish people, they were to work six days and rest on the Sabbath. Now again, what's very interesting to me, this is the one commandment that isn't repeated in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? Why? Well, the Lord's our Sabbath. We enter into God's rest through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, verse 6, we'll continue on. Then God said, Let there be firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God, God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning and the second day. Now, the idea here of the firmament is an expanse, okay? So the NIV, the NASB, it translates this Hebrew word as expanse. The New Living uh, Translation translates it as space. And so what's being said here is, is at one time, water uh, was all over the land, right? And what God did was he separated the waters that were over the land through waters that were in the air. He's talking about vapors. And apparently, probably, scientist uh, Dr. Morris, uh, you know, uh, Answers in Genesis, he writes uh, that this was probably describing a water canopy maybe above the uh, troposphere, above the stratosphere. It was this water canopy that what would happen is it would, it would decrease, it would limit the damaging UV uh, radiation from, from uh, the sun that would also allow people to live an average of 900 years. It would cause a very lush vegetation, a tropical vegeta uh, vegetation all over the world and in fact, that's what scientists find in the North and South Poles. They find woolly mammoths with tropical vegetation in their digestive tracts. There's all types of, of tropical forest, uh, evidence of tropical forest up there under these snow-capped mountains, under these ice-packed glaciers. And so isn't it interesting that science actually kind of, again, catching up to what the Bible says. Now, what's also interesting is is this water vapor, because it would cause, um, you know, just kind of mist to up and down to water the earth. It kind of caused dew to, to water the earth, a heavy dew. It would also be a sufficient reservoir for the water that was involved in the flood. When this water talks about in Genesis, how the, the waters in the heavens were uh, let go and the waters from the deep were let up. And that's what flooded the entire earth. So I find that very interesting. And uh, you know, God calls the firmament heaven. This space talks about the water vapor and he separates it. And now he had this expanse between the waters in heaven, waters in earth. He call, calls it heaven. And the evening and the morning and the second day. Verse 9 says, 
Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw it, that it was good. So again, what it's telling us here is apparently uh, it would suggest that the world, it was all water at one time. And then God spoke and the land began to emerge up out of the water. And at this time, most likely as this land rose up, the entire continents, they were all one large land mass. And again, isn't that interesting? Because science, they formed the theory of Pangaea, where you look at a map of the world and all these continents seem to fit together. You know, uh, you can look at it I don't know, uh, what, what is it? I'm trying to, in my mind, think, what's on the uh, left side of Africa? I don't know. But, you know, you put it together, it seems like a puzzle. And so it seems like that's what is being dis discussed here. People have theorized that. If the land was all together at one time, some people have the problem, like, well, how did Noah get kangaroos from Australia onto the ark was someplace there in the Middle East. Well, the answer was the land mass was all together at one time. All those animals were all over the place at one time. I just find these things interesting. Verse 11, it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. Now, I like this because, you know, I'm one of those guys, I'm, you know, 61 years old now. And uh, ever since I was a little boy, I used to like picking up those seeds and throwing them into the air. You know, the seeds, they spin down like a helicopter. I still love doing it. You know, seeds are such an interesting thing to me, how God develops seeds. You know, you blow on a dandelion. Right now, our grandson, he's two years old, and he's blowing on a dandelion. You know, he, he can't get the air through his mouth. He's trying to do it through his nose. It's so funny. And he's, he's just the cutest little thing. But how many times have you blown on a dandelion, and those seeds then are just distributed? You know, how God designed the seeds that they're in the fruit, and animals eat these seeds, birds eat these seeds, and then they go out, and they distribute these seeds. I used to be a land surveyor for a very long time. We would be out and we would see scat full of uh, seeds of the prickly pear. And that's how God dis distributed the cactus, the prickly pear in those areas because the coyotes would eat them and distribute the seed. It's just so interesting to me how God designed this whole thing. And today, what do we see? We see today in the seed, the DNA, it's all the information that that seed has to produce that tree, to produce that fruit, that just regenerates that cycle. That fruit feeds mankind too. Now, it's interesting that it says that the herb that yields seed and the fruit that yields fruit according to its kind, okay? 10 times this phrase is used according to its kind. 10 times it's used in uh, chapter one. 18 times in Genesis, you know, and once again, science, they're trying to catch up. They think about evolution, how, you know, one animal evolves into another, and it's not true. 
The scientific experiment is done every single day across the world. It's, it's proven every day, right? Nobody ever plants a kernel of corn and gets a wheat stalk. It never happens. Nobody plants, you know, uh, or apple seed and gets a plum tree. It just doesn't happen. Everything reproduces after its own kind. Now, again, as I've been a scientist all my adult life as a physician, I'll, I'll talk evolution all day to you. I'll, I'll, I'll talk your ears off till they bleed. You'll be begging me to stop. But you know, there is certain amount of evolution that God does allow to occur within a species. For instance, you know what? I used to live at an elevation of 2,000 uh, feet. I was at the rock yesterday at the church and I climbed up the stairs to the third floor where my office is. You know, I was a little bit out of breath. I was hoping nobody was seeing me, right? Because I was a little bit out of breath because now I'm at 4,800 feet, whatever it is here in Truckee. And you know what? What happens is in my body, is my body develops an ability to better utilize the oxygen. I get an increase what's called tidal volume in my lungs. My lungs are able to, to develop more space where it uses the oxygen more efficiently. This is macro evolution and it's all part of design. I used to live in the desert. We bought a car. When we lived in the desert, it had a heater in it. Can you believe it? Who needs a heater in a car in the desert? But now I move up to the mountains here in Truckee, and you know what? I got a, an idea that that heater's gonna come in handy one day. And you know what it does? It's a picture of design, how God designs us to adapt to certain environments. However, nothing ever changes from one species to another. That's a mutation, and the laws of biogenesis tell us that mutations are incompatible with life. Now, the theory of evolution, just uh, I, I just got to say it, okay? It's just that. It's a theory. The theory of evolution is a theory. It's a hypothesis. It's an idea, right? But there are laws of science. And one of the hardest laws of science is the laws of entropy. And the laws of entropy is that everything is going from order to disorder. Now... If you don't believe in the laws of entropy, uh, you can do a test at home, okay? Uh, don't clean your garage for six months. Is it gonna be tidier after six months or messier? Don't comb your hair for six months. I, I, I can't uh, be involved in this experiment, but you can tell me the results. If you don't comb your hair for six months, is it gonna be neater, nicer? You can have a, a more stylish hairdo after six months? Or yeah, is it just gonna be a, a ball of fluff? whatever. It's like what you find underneath. It's a ball of fluff like you find underneath your couch or something like that, you know, just a big hairball. I don't know. Tina's over here. I'm just looking at her right now. Just not, not that she doesn't dust. I'm not saying that at all. Okay. Don't get the wrong idea. I know we're new to the fellowship. <laughs> You'll come over our house. I can't wait for you to come over our house. But anyway, yeah, the laws of entropy. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Things are winding down. Nothing goes from chaos to order. And that's what evolution tells us, or at least wants us to believe. Anyway, we'll continue on. Verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind. There's the phrase. And the trees that yield fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw it and that it was good. You know, 
it's just the way it is. You know, a mama giraffe and a baby giraffe, a mama giraffe and a daddy giraffe, they get together, they have a baby giraffe. You know, a mama hippo and a daddy hippo get together, they never come out with, you know, a lion. It doesn't happen. Dogs are dogs, cats are cats. Enough said. Anyway, verse 13 says, and the evening and morning were the third day. Now, this is, this is a, an objection right here. You know, the third day God creates plants. But he hasn't created the sun yet. So how is that even possible? Well, you know, that's, that's an objection that many people think about. I don't know. I don't think they're giving much thought to it. Because we have plants in our house. And they're able to last 24 hours without any sunlight. We call that, uh, sorry, not 24 hours, uh, 12 hours without any sunlight. We call that nighttime. You know, in our case, they lasted for 24 hours. We packed them in a van. We moved up to Truckee. And uh, you know what? They left in the van overnight. You know, we, we got them. They weren't like, uh, you know, just brown twigs. Now, Tina's taking a picture over here. I'll let you know this. Uh, plants come to our house to die. Tina does not have a green thumb. I'm sorry. Rhea says she doesn't either. Yeah, you know what? But here's the thing. They, they're able to suffer a lot of abuse before they actually give up the ghost, right? Yeah, you know what? Here, the, what the Bible is telling us is they only lasted 24 hours without the sun. The very next day, God creates the sun. I don't understand that as an objection. But again, Revelation tells us that there was light there because God is light, right? Um, yeah, we'll see the sun and the moon come up here real soon, right? Verse 14. Verse 14 says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two, two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night. He made the, the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw it and it was good. So here God, he's talking, obviously he made these, these lights in the firmament in the heavens to divide the day and the night to let the signs and the seasons occur. Well, you know, we use the stars to navigate. You know, where it talks about signs and seasons. What kind of signs do the stars give us? Well, we navigate by them by one, right? Uh, in the northern hemisphere, we use the north star. Uh, in the southern hemisphere, we use the southern cross. I was a land surveyor for many years, and before satellite surveying came about, you could take a night shot, you could look at Polaris and determine where you were at. You could look at the sun, determine where you're at on the earth uh, with, with great accuracy. Um, it was just very easy. So uh, we navigate by the, the stars. We measure days by the earth's rotation around the sun. You know, it's for times and for seasons. We get seasons because of the rotation of the earth around the sun and that 23 and a third degree tilt. That's how we get the seasons, right? That's how we get summer, winter. You know, the, the longest day and the shortest day. That's how we have 
the, the spring and autumn uh, equinox, right? Because it's the position of the earth with its tilt in relationship to the sun and its orientation. And so we get these things, the four seasons. And the moon is also used, right, for, for signs and seasons. Uh, the Jewish people, they had a lunar calendar. And, um, you know, the festivals were often on the new moon. And it was a sign to worship God for this time or for that event. Um, we, use, we use the lunar calendar even today, right? Passover and Easter is linked to the lunar calendar. It's not always on the same day. And so signs and seasons. Also, I think it's very interesting. You do a little study on this. We have the Zodiac. The Zodiac is actually corrupted by the Babylonian religion of what was called to the Jewish people, the Maseroth, which was just kind of the same kind of thing as the Zodiac. We had constellations. And it's so interesting because in Galatians, it says that the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand. How was the gospel preached to Abraham? Well, very possibly it could be through the Maseroth because the Maseroth was the gospel. Kind of a lingering uh, aspects of it is in our zodiac, we have Virgo, the virgin, Leo, the lion. Oh, by the way, what's, um, you know, uh, uh, I think Virgo in her hand, I think she carries stalks of wheat. You know, it's the seed of the virgin. You know, and so it was, it was, uh, corrupted by the Babylonian religion, but yeah, maybe that's what it's being talked about here, signs and seasons. Um, when it talks about the, the greater light and the lesser light, of course we understand that to, to be talking about the sun and the moon. Now, to me again, isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that the moon is in exactly the right spot? exactly the right distance from the earth to create the tides, right? Any further, what would happen is there would be no tide. And you know, without the tides, there would be no life in the ocean and very possibly no life on, on earth at all. I think it was said, I think 20% uh, of all the oxygen is created by the oceans. You know, and if, there, if there's no you know, stimulation of, of the currents and everything like that, it would just become stagnant and it wouldn't be able to support life at all. But isn't it interesting? If the moon was a little bit too close, what would happen is twice a day, the earth would be flooded by the tides. Are we supposed to believe again that this just happened? It's just so interesting to me. The sun is just the right distance away from the earth. If it was a little bit closer, a little bit farther, if it was a little bit closer, we would burn up. If it was a little bit farther, we would freeze. But it's just happened to be that way. And I want you to notice too, something very important in this verse. It says that God created the light, a greater light to rule the day. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't say the greatest light? Because, there are many ancient cultures, there are many ancient people that they actually would think of the sun as the greatest light in the heavens, right? And they would worship it, they venerated it and bowed down to it and sacrificed to it. But you know what the Bible says? It's not the greatest light. It just says it's the greater light. That would have been just a terrible mistake. But again, 
the Bible, we can trust it, we can rely on it. You know, the sun is however big it is. I think it's, uh, let me think, I wrote it down on my notes, let me look at it. The sun is 864,000 miles in diameter. How crazy is that? It's 99.86% of all the mass in our solar system, the sun. You could put 1.3 million Earths into the sun. That's how big it is. It's not the greatest light though, right? There are bigger stars than that. There's a star out there uh, called Betelgeuse, right? You could put 9.3 billion with a B of our suns in that star. 9.3 billion of our suns, each one, 1.3 million of our earth in that sun or in that star, star named Betelgeuse. And then you know what? It's not even the biggest star. There's another star, uh, UT, blah, 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 blah. It's way out there. It's so big, they don't even know how big it is. But isn't it interesting that the Bible just records it as this, the sun is a greater light. It also reminds me of this. <clears throat> we have the, the sun, we have the moon, the lesser light. The moon is not really generating any light of its own. We know that it's a reflection of, of the sun. It reflects the sun. And it actually reminds me a little bit of what Jesus said there in John chapter 8, verse 12, John chapter 9, verse 5, where he said that I'm the light of the world. And then later on, he actually says in Matthew 5, 4, he says that we're the light of the world. There's no light within me apart from the light that Christ places in my heart. We're to reflect Jesus. You know, I just love that. He's the light and we're a reflection of him. He has us in this world. He wants people to see Jesus in us. He wants our life to cause people to not only see Jesus in us, but to be thirsty and hungry for what we have with Jesus. We're to be the salt. We're to make people thirsty. And as they look into our life, hungry for what we have. But you know what's interesting is the sun, the earth, and the moon. What happens is when the when the earth is going around the sun and the moon is going around the earth, there are times of the month where the earth gets in between the sun and the moon. And what happens then is it casts a shadow on the moon. Sometimes when things are just right, what happens is the earth's shadow completely obscures any light coming from the moon. We can't see it. Uh, and isn't that interesting because that's what happens in our lives too, is we're to be the light of the world. What happens is when we let the world get between us and God, when we let the world get between us and our Savior, what happens is the world begins to cast a shadow and our lives don't shine as bright. And if we're not careful, you know, it's so subtle. The enemy to our souls is so subtle that if we're not careful, you know what, the world can actually begin to eclipse our light. And that's such a sad thing for a Christian, such a miserable place for a Christian to be where they're so caught up with the world that their light begins to fade. You know, the first thing that happens, first thing that goes is prayer, Bible reading. After that, church, fellowship, 
And you know, I tell you, I've been in that place before where a day of not reading my Bible, a day of just having my eyes on something else turned into a month, a month turned into a year. Next thing you know, five years goes past and my, my relationship with the Lord is stale and I'm wondering, where's God? I mean, we have to always be careful to make sure that nothing gets between us and our Savior. You know, uh, James said, James 4.4, 4, it says, if we were friends, when we become friends of the world, we make ourselves enemies of God. And it's just so sad. You know, we were created to have a fellowship, a relationship with the Lord, that His glory would shine on us so brightly that we would reflect that glory to the world. And we're to be um, in the world, but separate from the world. We're to be in the world, but unspotted by the world. We're to be in the world, but completely, like I say, separated from the world. And it's one of the things that I have a hard time with some of uh, contemporary Christian music today. And a lot of, I remember, actually I'll go back even, same story, but I, before we actually um, left for the mission field, I remember a guy, he was a good friend of ours, Anthony, young guy, super sweet. I see him, he has a tattoo, he has a crown of thorns on one arm. He has, a, uh, you know, that symbol, the intertwined triangle uh, representing the Trinity. And I asked him, like, hey, you know, tattoos, man, you just got a couple tattoos, right? He says, yeah, you know what? You can't be a missionary today without a tattoo. I was like, really? <laughs> I'm in trouble. I mean, in my business as a, as a doctor, let me tell you, I see a lot of ink. And uh, you know what? I've seen a lot of bad ink. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with tattoos. You got a tattoo, no problem, whatever. But it's just interesting to me that a lot of times Christians today, I see it a lot in Christian music, is we're trying so hard to be like the world. You know, it breaks my heart because as we're trying to be like the world and our message is to the world to come out of the world, their response is, why would we come out of the world when you're trying so hard to be like the world? You know what? We're to separate ourselves from the things of the world. You know, it's okay to have money. It's okay to have nice cars. It's okay to have a big house. It's, I'm not saying anything like that, that it's a problem. It's not, it's okay to have tattoos. But the thing is, is we gotta make sure that the world never gets between us and our Savior. So it never eclipses our light. Um, so let's move on. I don't know, well, I'm going a little bit long. Sorry about that, let's go. Um, then it says, verse 20, then God said, let the waters abound with abundance of life, uh, living creatures, and let the birds fly uh, above the earth, across the face of the firmament of the earth. You know, the living creatures, boy, sea creatures, how diverse are they? I think of starfishes and jellyfishes and albacore and seals and whales and killer whales. I mean, it's just amazing to me. Such diversity, such variety. And then the birds, you know, Tina and I, we watched the BBC documentary recently of just birds and, and I love birds. They're so beautiful. Uh, we live by the Truckee River. The other day I saw a duck that I've only seen in a book. I was so excited to see it. You know, we lived in the desert. I haven't seen a Canadian goose in such a long time. And you know what? It was just such a blessing. I love these birds. The documentaries that the BBC does on the variety of birds 
just so amazing. And you know what it does is it demonstrates God's amazing creativity. It should just blow us all away. It does me. Verse 21, so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the water waters of, uh, with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind there's that phrase and God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth so the evening and the morning and the fifth day verse 24 then God said let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind cattle the creeping thing and the beast of the earth according uh, to its kind and it was so and God made the beast of the earth according to its kind cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind and God saw that it was good then God said let us make man in our own image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we're just going to stop here. It says, verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Three times a plural pronoun is used here. And uh, I just find it so interesting. Some people think, well, he's talking to the angels, but we're not made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God. We're the image bearers of God. And so, again, this is just another reference to the Trinity, to the triunity, the compound unity of the Godhead. And, and I just want to point out real quick, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. We're different from all the other creations of God. We're the image bearers of God. And that's what makes human life important. We're the image bearers of God. Later on, God will tell us that we have no right to take uh, a human life because they're made and created in the image of God. We have no rights. And this being the image bearer of God separates us from all uh, his other creatures because we're created like him in that we have the ability to think, we have the ability to love. We have the ability to enjoy. We have the ability to bless. We have the ability to, um, to uh, fellowship. And that's what God's heart is, is that we would fellowship with him. Just as God is a triune being, a trinity, so too man was created in a trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we were made in spirit, soul, and body. And we were to have fellowship with God like this, right? It was beautiful. But then when sin entered in, sin turned things up where mankind became um, controlled by his fleshly appetites, his fleshly passions. No longer was uh, the spirit the primary portion of our trinity, uh, but the body became the primary portion. And now we are not able to fellowship with God uh, properly. But praise the Lord, he had a plan for this and he sent his son so that we would experience this rebirth as being born again, that we could come into that right relationship with the Father. Like I said on Sunday, where the one nail-pierced hand of Jesus reaches up to the Father, another nail-pierced hand reaches down to us and he 
brings us into this right relationship. It's such a beautiful thing, you know, that God would desire to commune with you and with me. I mean, that, that alone, if that was the only blessing we got out of salvation, there was no, no other blessing for us here on earth, that would be blessing enough just to say yes to Jesus. I want to experience just a deeper fellowship with my Savior. I want to go deeper in my relationship with God the Father, and I want to bless Him. He says in verse 27, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And today, the world wants us to, to believe that there's no difference between the sex, sexes. It breaks my heart. You know, there's such gender confusion across the, the world today. Just, it just breaks my heart. And uh, you know what? We are different. God created us different. I'm better at being a man than Tina is. Tina's better at being a woman than I am. You know what? And it's just, you know, God made us to be compatible that way. And you know what? Uh, Tina is my balance. She's certainly my better half. Uh, I'm just so looking forward to everybody getting to know her because she's so special, wonderful. But um, she is my better half and she is my balance. You know, I'm often, let's go, boom, let's go. Tina's like, well, maybe we want to think about it, you know? And uh, I've learned, you know, you know, maybe before I jump into the deep end of the pool, Tina's helped me to learn that I put my toe in to see how cold the water is. You know, uh, like I said, we live by the river. I can't wait to get into that river. Right now, I tested it the other day. It's a little too cold for me. But boy, um, is, is there a dam or anything between here and Verdi? Can I float that entire river? I'm going to do it. We should have a river rafting party, Calvary Chapel, Truckee, river rafting party. How crazy cool would that be, guys? I wish I could hear everybody say, and in my mind, I hear everybody right now say, hey, man, let's do it. Okay, put it on the calendar, Ria. We're going to do it. First summer day, maybe. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you know what? God created men and women to be different. And boy, we should be celebrating those differences. One isn't better. One isn't uh, stronger, better, you know. In my areas of weakness, Tina is strong. And in her area of weaknesses, I'm strong. And that's why God made us to come together, that we would be whole together. And, and I just love it. Greatest blessing in my life, apart from salvation, is my wife. Um, yeah, she's given, given us three great kids. I love her so much. Anyway, moving on, because we are going long. Rhea said it was okay. Rhea said I could go like John Corson. It would just, we would just go till it's done right? That's what she said. I got permission. You know what? I got permission from the boss. Till the battery dies. The battery dies. <laughs> okay, let's hurry up. Uh, as, like I said, did I say it earlier? You know, I like Thursday. I like midweeks because we can be informal. You know, I'm informal. This is more me than a Sunday morning, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's too much information. We'll edit that out of the tape, maybe. I don't know. No, we don't edit tapes. Well, thanks for telling me ahead of time, Maria. <laughs> I thought we just like condense this down to like 45 minutes or something like that. Okay, well, let's move on. Verse 28. You know what? After creating man, after creating uh, him male and female, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, 
over every living thing that moves on the earth. First thing that God does for, for man after he creates him is he blesses him. Man, our God is a blessing God. I love that. Our God's heart is to bless. Our God's heart is to give. To give when I don't deserve it. Our God is gracious. He's merciful. I love that. Without God's blessing in our life, life would be unbearable. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe it's a little bit harder for you. You know, when we went to Europe as missionaries, we literally sold everything we had. Uh, we took a couple of pictures so the kids would, it would feel like home for them. But we sold everything and we moved to Europe with nothing. And now if you came to our house, uh, you would think we were so wealthy, we were rich because of all the things that God gave us. And it's so special to me because now I can look at every piece of furniture, every rug, everything that we own, and I remember how God gave that to me. God blessed me with that rug. We have a rug that the First Lady, uh, I think it was of Cyprus, we picked it out and then she came along, First Lady Cyprus said she wanted it. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, uh, that's our rug. You know, I don't have a problem telling people. You know, uh, God gave us so much stuff. Every one of them a blessing, every one of them dear to my heart. You know, I, I just want to encourage you. Have you ever stopped to just think of the things that God has blessed you with? Your car, your health, your house. You know, you're not outside in the cold. Your job, you know, and if you don't have a job now, you know what, there's a job in your future. God is in the business of giving. He's in the business of blessing. One of the things that I was encouraged to do years ago, I tried it, but I just, from my head, was it says in Psalm 119, verse 164, the psalmist says seven times a day he praises the Lord. And you know what, I thought, well, that's going to be a cool thing. I'm going to give it a try. But you know, I, I failed at it. Then just recently, another friend of mine said, you know what, you schedule everything else in your life. Why not schedule this? So my alarm goes off every two hours. 8, 10, 12, 2, 4, 6, 8, seven times a day. I just stop and I just, hey, let's pray. Let's thank God. And I just go in to just thank Him for all the blessings in our life. And I just want to encourage you, hey, why not give it a try? Put your alarm on your phone. Schedule times. We schedule everything else. We schedule lunch dates. We schedule doctor's appointments. We schedule time when we get up to go to work. We schedule time to get off work and come home. We schedule our dinners and all this. Why not schedule time where you're just going to meet with the Lord? Try it for two weeks. It'll be such a blessing. You know, Wednesday, I was in the office and Jay and Doug came by and... Uh, my ringtone goes off, my phone goes off, and it's kind of an alarm ringtone. <laughs> kind of like this, right? And uh, so I walk out, and it's one of my friends, because he called me at 2 o'clock. He knew I was going to be praying. He calls me at 2 o'clock to pray with me. And it's just such a blessing. We just lifted our hands and just said, Lord, he's in California. God, well, we're in California. <laughs> he's in Southern California. We're up here in Truckee and just, God, you're so good. God, thank you for our wives. Thank you for our families. Thank you for the mercies this morning. Thank you for your grace, your goodness, your just abundant mercies, Lord. Just pouring out grace upon grace. Lord, hallelujah. It's so good. It changes your attitude throughout your day. 
without God's blessing in our life, it would be unbearable. I want to encourage you, maybe think about it. Give it a try. Give it a try for two weeks and come back and tell me it was a bad idea. Verse 29, and God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. So apparently, uh, initially, man was intended to be a vegetarian. There's a lot of benefits to being a vegetarian. But then in Genesis 9, uh, verse 13, I think it's verse 13, verse 3, verse 13, um, God gives us permission then to begin to eat animals. Um, which I'm thankful for because I, I love chicken. I love salmon. My two favorite things, I don't eat beef. Uh, it's not good for me at my age, so I don't eat pork either. Pigs are friends, not food, I say, but yeah, maybe a little bit too much information. Much more casual on, on the midweek, okay? All right, we'll finish up here. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. At this time, God sees everything and he sees it's very good. But then you know what? Sin's going to enter into the picture. Suffering, sickness, death is going to enter into the picture. And things aren't going to be so good. But you know how great our God is? He had a plan from the foundations of the world, but before time began, he had a plan to send his son to take our sin, to take our penalty on the cross, to bear our sin, to bear our shame there on the cross. And it's such a, a sweet thing. God could have very easily said, nope, I wash my hands of you guys. But he didn't because of his great love that he has towards us. And I just encourage you, I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord, Maybe it's great, and praise God, I hope it is. Let's go deeper. Maybe you're in a place where, you know, the world has kind of eclipsed some of that light. And there is maybe a, the world casting a shadow on your life. And, you know, maybe you're in a place where, um, again, you're just full-on backslidden. Let's just be honest. You know what? God loves you. And no matter how far away we wander from God, He's always one step back. All we have to do is just turn to him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And he's so readily willing to forgive. He's desiring to forgive us. He's desiring to bring us into that right relationship with him again. You know, if you're someplace where you shouldn't be, or maybe you don't even know the Lord today, you know what you want to do is you want to receive him. You want to allow him to love you. You want to allow him to pour his blessings out upon you. I just want to encourage you just to pray, to ask him to forgive you, to get things right again, and to draw you to himself again. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much. Lord, it's been so great to be out here in creation talking about Genesis chapter 1. It's been so wonderful. I've enjoyed it so much, Lord. You're so great. You're so good. I pray your blessings upon Calvary Chapel Truckee and, and everybody in the church, everybody listening to the study right now, Lord, I pray you bless them. Lord, reveal yourself to them in a greater, fresher way. As almighty, all-powerful, all-loving, all-wise, all-patient, all-gracious, Heavenly Father, 
reveal yourself to them, who you are, and what you want them to know about you, Lord. You have a plan for each of our lives, Lord. In your grace and in your goodness, I pray you will lead us into those good works that you've prepared for us. Lord, and for my brothers and sisters that have maybe wandered, Lord, thank you that, that you're willing to receive them back. Just no questions asked to forgive and to forget, to restore them into a right relationship with you. Lord, I pray again your blessing on Calvary Chapel Truckee as a whole. Lord, we're looking forward to the things that you're going to do. We're looking forward to the things you're going to reveal in this study, in the book of uh, Genesis, and also in the book of uh, Matthew on Sunday mornings, Lord. We love you, and we say, have your way with us. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless. I love you guys. Praying for you.